When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to go on a fishing, boating and great outdoors adventure. Welcome to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Redmond, good morning to you. Good morning, mate. Uh, Great to be here as usual. How are you? Going very well, going oh, very well. well. Hey, uh, I'm going to get straight into this, straight into a bit of 4x4 four four news before we uh, kick off all things fishing. Yep. And we get into your week in fishing. Uh, You've been ch- sending me something during the week. I think you sent me three three articles of the same car, the Lexus. Oh, my is God. Is that the one you want to talk about, or is it, am I no. throwing you off track there? No. I, you just keep sending it to me. No, I wasn't going to, but now that we're on that, Can I, I'm happy to, sorry, dis- sorry to, to discuss you. it. I thought you loved that one. I like that one. So I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i come back to that right now, then. All right, let's go. Lexus have revealed their new GX, their all-new 2024 GX. Now, this is the Prado-based GX. So if you're familiar with... Lexus as a brand, it is of course the luxury brand of Toyota. You know, one of the most popular car manufacturers in the world, one of the best in the world, Aaron. Yep. Uh, and Lexus has always been their luxury brand, and the two cars that interest both you and I, being four by four enthusiasts, uh, boat owners, outdoorsmen, etc., are of course the Land Cruiser-based Lexus and the Prado which is the GX. And I think it's one of the best-looking cars I think I've ever seen. I actually agree with you for once. How good is it? It's beautiful. For those that... I'm buying Kari one when I win Tats Lotto. I was going to say... What's it going to be worth? I couldn't find the price. That's a great question. Well, at the moment, we're seeing, you know, Land Cruiser 300 Series roll out the door. The Sahara, which, uh, for those unaware, is the the top-of-the-range model. Um Roll out the door for, you know, 160, 170, which is just outrageous. But this new yeah, GX, which is, of course, will, will come as a premium on top of whatever it is it's offered uh, in terms of once it comes out in a Prado version. It's a, it's a beautiful looking car. They have done a phenomenal job. The only thing that I was disappointed was when I uh, pumped it into my phone, so you read down down the bottom of the article. I'm not sure which one. You sent me about 19. But <laughs> down at the bottom of it, it says 8,000 pound towing. You thought and it was I, eight, eight well, tonne. No, no, no. I thought it was four tonne. I'm like, four tonne's better than three and a half. So all the fish, Patrick, that I've caught in my time, that people have gone, oh, they're 10 pound and I've halved them. They're even less because it's only 3.6. <laughs> so 8,000 pound is only 3,600 kilo, roughly. Which, will, give or which take. will, of course, be listed as three and a three half, and a half ton, ton towing. It comes to, so it's yes. going to be back to yeah. three and a half ton towing. So I was a little bit disappointed on that, considering it's competing with your Land Cruisers and that. I thought when I saw it, it was going, I just naturally rounded it at the half. And I'm going, geez, it pumps it up to four ton. Like that allows me to tow the six and a half metre North Bank, which I'm waiting for. No worries. Because I've had to go, I went up to the ram. Yes, yep. 
not that I can afford this Lexus because it's going to be about nine hundred thousand dollars, but it's uh, it's a beautiful car. Won't be nine hundred thousand, but it will be expensive. <laughs> uh, the the piece that is interesting though is that the two engines that it's been released with so far in the US are both petrol engines. So Lexus slash Toyota seemingly a lot of people are going from diesel. A lot, of, a lot of car manufacturers are going that that path into yeah. Like for example, my Ram's petrol. Yeah. yeah, a lot of them are petrol uh, because faster burn, etc. Like it's it's way cheaper than diesel, and it's moment. cheaper at the mo at the moment. It they, they reckon it um it, they reckon it doesn't burn as quick. Obviously, diesel lasts longer, but uh, petrol burns a lot faster. But that's what they reckon they get the acceleration, of the power. Hence, the V eight engine in my car is yes. running petrol through it. Yeah, where you get your, your standard utes and whatnot at running diesels, and they're a bit slu- They're a bit like all diesels are just a bit sluggish. Hence, you can put an iDrive in your car, yep. and they're a game changer. The iDrives, they're an absolute game. I've got it in my Ram with the petrol too. Are they and good it, for your car though? Yep, doesn't do anything to it. All the mechanics recommend it for towing, especially. Yep, I've yeah, never, right. I've never had anyone say. But I've, I've had one in all my cars, and I've spoken to. If anyone has any dramas with these, yell out. I don't know anyone that has any dramas. Has had any dramas? I don't know anyone. What we're talking about, probably, should we save it for the review? Should we no, review? no, no, no. You happy with this? I'm happy for you to so, keep talking. Because I, I find it interesting. What, what, do yep. you, what did you pay for it? So, I think about 120 bucks or 130 bucks. You're kidding me. The cheapest chips. And then... And maybe then, maybe slightly more, 150 maybe. Yeah, it was 120, 130, 150, something like that. Okay. Don't, don't round but, it down? No, well, <laughs> that's actually fine. 100 to 150 bucks. If it's under 200, that's great. So, plus... You've got to get it fitted, I'm assuming. Well, they usually... I bought mine for a fellow that has the uh, auto car wash in Geelong. He has a, he gotcha. cleans boats and everything. And he put it yeah. in for you. He puts it in for you. And what it is, is an iDrive. And it goes... It plugs into the back of the throttle of your car and basically takes away any delay. The lock for, to lay it down, it takes it down, takes away any delay from your throttle. So if you're driving a diesel, by the time you put your foot on the throttle and accelerate, they all have that slight lag in it. Yes. So it allows you to uh, accelerate a little bit quicker, which for towing boats and everything like that, it's an absolute game changer. Yeah. And when you're at roundabouts and you go to accelerate and you just don't quite go, these allows you to go. And it's got a range from zero to nine in it. So you can run it on zero, which obviously means... How nothing. how how hard you want the pickup to be. Yep. Mean. When okay. I run my Ram on two, my Amarok, I ran it on three. And if you want to know what running a nine's like, imagine getting in a car with a 13-year-old that's just about to drive. Or actually with Patrick Dangerfield about to drive a manual because it's like, oh, do, 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 back and forward because it's Excuse that touchy. Me. I've heard some I good got, stories of you. I got my license in a manual. I, I know, just, that's what scares me. I just haven't driven one since. <laughs> yes, you did on a beach one time. I was like, oh. didn't you up north? <laughs> no, actually, I was shooting an ad for Amy. And oh, and there? <laughs> that was actually quite easy to drive. It was a Subaru. And I, I think that's basically... It's basically an automatic, even though it's got a. Um, it gives you. It's got your manual. <laughs> it's pretty much an automatic. Um, let me just finish off. Sorry, <laughs> You're right, it's okay. Um, around the engine and the potentials for it, they're, they're talking a three point four liter petrol V six, um, producing two hundred and sixty kilowatts of power mm-hmm. and six hundred and fifty newton meters of torque, made it with a ten speed automatic transmission. It's a bit of a stock standard. The other one, though, hybrid powered. Has been confirmed for the GX, but it won't be offered at the launch. So that's the interesting one that we'll wait and see what this hybrid looks like with this technology adjusting. We know Toyota have uh, they haven't publicised a huge amount around hydrogen, but it's what they've spent a lot of money on. When will we see it? Well, that remains to keep be seen. It, can you keep an eye on this? Because I generally would like to know the price of this, where it's going to come into the market. 
Well, if you think Prado comes in at ninety, I'm saying this is this is one twenty one thirty. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Hey, the other one, uh, Chinese brand LDV raised eyebrows ages ago, and we re- we spoke about this car when it uh, introduced pretty much the first electric Ute into the Australian marketplace. I think it came in, I reckon it was like 92 to 97 grand, pretty much $100,000. Uh, reviews weren't terrific, it's safe to say, but the, uh, the company was pretty clear that they weren't targeting private buyers with this. This was around uh, commercial fleet vehicles. So this launch was six months ago, Redmond, um, and there's some data out now around sales. So to date in 2023, the local distributor, uh, Atco, has delivered 27 examples of the ET60. Seven examples of the MIFA9 and 12 of the E-Delivery9. Mm. So, surprise me that there's been 27 um, orders for the ET60 because that thing at 92 grand, I think the payload was like 950 kilos. Yeah. And then the if you, depending on how much you load it up, Obviously, the range would, would deflate significantly. So that's a big one um, that seems to be okay. Will it last in the Australian marketplace? Remains to be seen. Uh, the other one, the Finky Desert Race, is on right now. And spotted there it has been a prototype version of the right-hand drive Ford F-150. That's been towing the uh, Ford Raptor that's been um, well racing in the, in the event. Um, which has been interesting to see. And the last one before we get into uh, your work in fishing, Reb, Kia's EV9 electric large SUV, which is set to arrive this year. Uh, the company has already discussed pricing and it will be the most expensive uh, vehicle the country, other uh, manufacturers produced, starting at around 90 grand. So expensive for cars these days, isn't it? It's it is so expensive. Like families out there that are trying to buy a family car that's new, like it's just hard. What did, like, you, what did you pay for for your Mitsubishi? I think we paid about forty eight, forty nine. I reckon it was under just under fifty thousand. Well, a lot of that was because of the warranty as well, wasn't it? We got it because ten year warranty with a unbelievable ten year warranty. Ten, it's, it's ten, isn't it, Mitsubishi? I think Seven it was. or ten, one of the two. But yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. It's got great warranty and the fixed price cap servicing too. So there was a lot of reasons that we did it. But now we're looking to potentially we're talking about having a third child. We're like, do don't we do, don't do it, mate? Well, I'm not talking about it. But <laughs> it's uh, it's do we go? It's it's not a, it's a nice big car, like it's a good size, etc. And it's nice inside has all the safety safety stuff. But if you're going to have three, you probably need going to have to go something bigger. Yeah, you will. Yeah. So whether we look at something like you know what one car I do like is the Nissan V8. Yeah, I do yeah. like that, and Kari likes it too. The only problem is once again expensive i'm paying double the price of what that outlander is yeah they're not and you're sort of looking even 100 plus grand yeah i was gonna say second hand you're sort of looking in the 80, <sighs> 85 to but 90 I cannot, but talk about that though can you i i struggle and this is nothing to do trust me i don't have money it's nothing to do with having money i struggle to buy secondhand stuff i just don't trust people well it depends where it's been and who you know where it's coming if you know where it's if you know from. it's been driven by a 70 year old retired man yeah it's like Hell yeah, I'll buy that. But do you trust, like, when I deal with stuff, I know the mechanics I go to. A lot of people don't know the mechanics they go to. They don't, they don't know who, like, Mr. Bishy's one. I got no idea who services Kari's car. And I can guarantee you, it's probably some second year apprentice that does her car. My cars, because I've had, not well, this, I don't this think one. The, I think it's different now with the way that they're serviced. 
So you take your car in. So mm-hmm. I got my Everest serve, uh, yep. service the other day. It took six hours, but it's pretty much all. They just plug it in, and then the car, through the AI technology that's... Computer system. Yeah, tells the mechanic exactly what to look at. It's it it does, but incredible. who's fixing the, the whatever needs? I don't know. Anyway, I struggle buying secondhand stuff. I, I I really like nothing to do with the money side of it. Trust me, I'd rather buy it secondhand. You're talking ease of use. I, yeah. I just don't things like, not going. Well, right. my car, my Ram. I didn't want that to. I didn't want a car. The reason I bought that new was I didn't want to buy someone else's car that done two hundred thousand k's and had towed something up and down the coast for how long? I, I was going to say particularly. I can understand that simply because of the towing element. Yeah, but well, what you about your missus though that's stuck on the have... side of the road that you buy a second-hand, I buy a second-hand Nissan Patrol that's done towing in caravan, it's on 150000 you buy it, go, beauty, I got this a lot cheaper and then all of a sudden she's on the way to the highway to go see the family and she's broken down. Well, I my big thing with, it's just the amount of towing that cars do is probably the big one. Towing. Can I uh, throw this It does up? put a lot of stress in transmission, those sorts oh, of things. It does, it's especially when you drive it like I do. Uh, t- <laughs> this is for you, this one. Okay, fly, fly away. Closed, but only temporary. The trout season in the uh, st- uh, the streams and a few others, Patrick. Yes. So the 2023 trout and salmon close season on rivers and streams from Tuesday the 13th of June until Friday the 1st of, of September, inclusive. The first open day is on the 2nd of September. So during this closed season, anglers must not take or possess any fish from the tail race sections of the river. Yep. Anglers must not be in possession of a hook and line in on or within 200 metres of the Goulburn Tail Race River below Lake Eildon, Pondage to Trawall Bridge. And if you do want further information, head to the Vic Fish app. They'll help you out there. But uh, yeah, that closes your fishing down. Yours and John Boy's up in the Otways for a bit, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But it's a good thing. The Needs to be done. To spawn. There's some big, I tell you what, there's some big fish getting yeah. down there at the moment. Some really well, big sea run trout. I know people love catching uh, wild trout, etc. what you like doing, and even up in the hills and whatnot. But on a positive note, before, well, we may as well get into my whip around after the break, Pat. But... We'll talk about the down the southwest. This is the prime time to go down there and to get big trout and chinooks yep. and yep. tiger trout. And I know I said trout, but tiger trout, browns, rainbows, all different brands of them because you don't know what you're going to catch in all these southwest. You've got Bull and Mary, you've got Parambit, you've got Tularook. You've got all these different places that you can go to and running your Tassie Devils, your spotted dogs. There's all these different methods that you can use to catch these. And something that Lee Rayner prides himself on is running the downrigger. And the reason that I say Lee Rayner is, I, I do, I've caught a few trout in my time and I don't mind doing it, but Lee loves it. Yep. And he loves dropping these downriggers. And what he's doing, and he's spoken on this show many times, is when he's chasing these trout in the southwest lakes, there's a lot of depth in these borders. You can be out to Yeah, they're 50, surprisingly deep. 50, 60 metres, yeah. even probably more at times. I'm not that familiar with the middle of them. But yeah, what Lee's... surprisingly Lee, deep, isn't it? He's dropping downriggers down 30, 40 metres to where the fish are ever, where they're holding and putting that whatever it is, that spotted dog or that Tassie devil, he's putting it in front of is he the running fish's face. top lures as well? He's right, yep. yep. So he's running so the flat line. Track. Yep, he's running all those. So he's running uh, two downriggers. Yep. And then he's running, I think, two or three up the top. Is, uh, is it time-consuming to set up when no. you're setting up the downriggers? Zero. So Zero. you just need to, once you've purchased them, once you've got them set up, yep. it's not hard well, to, to put them in the... The Sorry, fi- I mis- misunderstood your question. I thought you meant hooking the lure on the day. Yeah, fixing it into the boat can be... Depends how you do it. Lee Rayner's got a rod holder set up. Yeah, okay. So they go into the rod holders and they Which sit... Which makes sense. And the rod sits on out, out 
I don't know if he sits it on top of it or he sits it next to it, but some of these Canon ones you buy have the actual rod arms, rods that sit in the arms of it. Yep. And or you can get the you can get the, the rail blazers. They're a terrific that you yeah. love using. They yep. can sit on the rails of the back of your boat next to the downrigger, and they're not hard to put in your boat. Like I said, rod holder or fitting it out on the day, which is what I was going with. You literally they've got clips on the back of it, which you can set the weight to roughly. You put your line into it, and how you do it is you let your lure out to where you would normally run it. So just an example, say 15 metres behind the boat, then put your clip on, flip your bail arm over, or you flick your spool, and then drop your drop your downrigger down to whatever the depth. It has a counter on it, and say the fish are holding, say you're in 30 metres. So you can look at the, obviously look at your sound and yep. go, okay, they're, they're at 30 metres, we're going to put it down to 30. 100%, and Lee does, Lee watches his sound and goes, geez, I'm marking them, say we're in 30 metres, and the trout is all sitting in 20s. He'll put that down just above twenty, so just just so it's exactly where the fish are. Love that. And you can't you can't get a diver to do that. No, exactly right. So you're putting it where the fish are, and what he finds some days is some days the downrigger will pick up the big ones and all big fish, and they're all just sitting below the small fish because they're coming up and smacking them. Yep. And those yep. trout are vicious bastards. Yeah, they are aggressive. <laughs> they, will, they? they like they. <laughs> Lee said to me the other day, he goes, "They just released. I can't remember if it was uh, chinooks or if it was trout, but juvenile like twenty centimeter ones." Yep. He goes, "Mate, those chinooks in there that are literally like bigger bigger than your arm, and that's not exaggerating." Yeah. He goes. We're going to get a live trout and use it as bait. He goes, we're going to run it off the downrigger. He goes, because if we can catch a small 15 centimetre, 25 centimetre, they'll go nuts. They'll just eat it yeah, because yeah. they're so vicious. And yeah. running at the depth, and he finds that marking those bigger fish up, wherever they're sitting, put the downrigger at that depth, and you'll get your smaller ones on your flat lines, and then you'll get your bigger ones on the downrigger. Vice versa, some days, early morning, the big ones might be up on top, yep. and they'll be hitting, the, and then the smaller ones down the bottom. So there's different ways to doing it, but he's he's great to fish with down there. And uh, once again, great fishing anywhere you are around, yeah, great time of the year. And wherever you're fishing right around this country, you find someone that has done it a bit and you can learn from them and you'll catch fish. You're listening to Real Adventures, huge show coming your way this morning. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you, fishing, boating in the great outdoors, all coming up on Real Adventures this morning. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk fishing, boating in the great outdoors. It is time for the whip around to find out what's biting in your backyard. We kick off in New South Wales, Redmond. And I'm going to kick it off because I saw a great report uh, during the week uh, young Nicholas and his father Rodney cubed due east of Burmy on the 1,000 fathom line. Do you know how I know that he was going to be due east of Why Burmy? Is that? I'm going to let you think about it for three seconds. How do you think I knew that he was due east of Burmy? Because it's the one of the most eastern points of the. Yeah, so if he was due west, he would have been inland at the hills or something. So he wouldn't have catch yellowfin up. And there. after a couple of hours. <laughs> Yellowfin tuna were in the trail, and one took a liking to uh, to one of the slimy. Yeah, I saw that on yep. slimy mackerel. Yeah, I did see that one. And Nicholas's first yellowfin followed fish. up. Bermy bait and tackle posted this. Well done, Nick. It was a cracking yellowfin. Um, bloody good size, mate. Really good. The whole coast, that whole south coast of New South Wales. Yep, I, I've got it in front of me here. I don't even have it in order. All it says is winter marlin. Bluefin and yellowfin. Yep. There was bluefin caught, there was yellowfin caught, and there was marlin caught. Water's still 19 degrees in some parts. Really? Like, that's winter's fishing. There was a spearfish caught. Like, that's a full summer fish. Yeah. Like, what the hell? That's that current that we had pushed down the coast. 
Yeah. And it's just caused all this. And the fishing, yellowfin, bluefin, marlin, it, it's enough just to blow your mind when you go up there because the fishing they had on the weekend with the calm weather, every boat basically had great fun on something. Closer to, uh, to the city CBD, the Parramatta, uh, Parramatta River is fishing quite well. There's been uh, decent captures of brim. But what about one thing that's next level? Sorry, go I on. I sent you that video during the week. What was it? Oh, yes, that was amazing. So... Where, so where it's, let's let's paint the picture. In, where it is, it? I think it's in Marimbula. Yes, it is. Yeah. Marimbula, the whole th- way through Marimbula, but like it runs out the coast. And I'm not exaggerating. We are now. talking hundreds of thousands of salmon. millions. I'm going millions. <laughs> it has to be millions. It's, it's not millions. You don't reckon it's millions? It's a lot. It is. They're a this lot. big, and they're running for ten kilometers. So so ten kilometers of fish. Uh, Trapman Bermigo, I think. Oh, every post. Is, it's just nuts. Uh, and these schooling fish working through these estuary systems. and From the ocean with, into the estuary. Yeah, with drones now, you can get incredible vision of like, it. Like, to and paint is... a picture for you, imagine a school of salmon on a beach. You see a big cloud of it, right, that you've been catching at home. Yep. This is literally for kilometres yeah, and kilometres into rivers. And they are, when I say thick, they look like... You go out in Port Phillip Bay and people are chasing a snapper. Like, there's literally 500 people in a boat. Like, that's how easiest way to explain it. There's salmon on salmon. Like, they're literally just that thick. And people are catching them on fly. Like, you could... People are catching them with shovels, as we've seen. Literally driving over to them and shoveling them into the boat with shovel. Like, they're that yeah. thick. Yeah. So, they reckon it's once, you know... They've never seen it before. Like, anything like this. So, that, that is absolutely sensational to see how healthy the salmon run is. Not just in New South Wales. Right around the coast, which I've got a few more to report as well. Uh, heading further north, Queensland. The dart fish are firing up uh, off the pumping jetty, Redmond. Yeah, in Tweed. So, I don't know if that counts as Queensland, but I always call it <laughs> Queensland because it's a little bit warmer than Victoria. So, Tweed, 48 centimetres on cured worms. So, the dart fish love the cured worms. Up to 48 centimetres. They're really good darts. So, they, that's keeping anglers busy. And the coral trout and the Spanish mackerel for Dennis Daly out of Mission Beach. Oh, He's been absolutely it's nailing them. So, great catches. photos during the Hard during to book him with Dennis. I tried to book him uh, with Dennis a month Is out. Is that what you were trying to ring me for the other week? Yeah. Asking for his number? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, what are you going up there? Well, I always have. Uh, I thought I'd changed over iPhones. And you know how when you change over your iPhones. Things don't work. Well, <laughs> half of your contacts go over, half don't. Anyway, I got on to Dennis and it was near and impossible. Everyone's heading up there at the moment. Hey, Western Australia, down. massive wahoo. Young Oscar. See the photo? Phenomenal, out of Ningaloo. Absolute crack. I'm not sure what the weight was, but good on Oscar. It was an absolute stonker. Yeah, Ningaloo Reef. So it would have, like, that's one, I reckon that's, that's 110, 127. Yeah, it has long. to be. Yep. Unless he's really small. And Kirk <laughs> caught on a, uh, on a skirt. So well done, Oscar. That was an absolute brilliant one. Uh, coming back to more central, land base at North Mole. The snapper playing the game, fished a five kilo. Like nice. I said, land base. I'd be using squid as bait. Stays on. Yep. Everything will work, but squid does not come off anywhere near anything else. So, uh, beautiful snap fishing land base. And I'm just going to throw it in the jazz chart. has caught more fish during the week too, Pat. <laughs> uh, South Australia school tuna in the odd barrel out of Port Mac and the front of SA Angler. Oh, I did uh, sneak that one in. This week was, or this month rather, uh, was you. Desperate. You were- yeah, Shane. So the front cover of South Australian Angler, one of our favourite uh, fishing magazines, uh, Big Bad Barrels Monster, Bluefin Tuna, and it features your good self and uh, Crow's young gun, Ned McHenry, in your boat, Redmond. It does. Uh, it's sure. a ripping photograph. Shane would have used it himself, but he was down there time. He didn't catch one when he was down there, so he couldn't. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Shane. Whack. No, uh, 
Yeah, no, that's great. Great to be a part of that. It's a uh, good photo too. Uh, Kano took the photo. Kano won't let Kano, Kano out. He uh, was only there for the photo, so he took it for us. <laughs> Poor Kane. <laughs> but no, uh, Kane, myself and Ned, that was that trip we did about a month back, I reckon now, Pat. We had a great session down there. So, yeah, no, thank you to Shane for... Is it still fishing as well? No, well, that's what I was hoping you asked me. Uh, school tuna in plague proportions. Yes. And same as Portland. And I, the reason I say Portland is... Port Mark is basically Victoria, as we like to say it. But we'll get on to Portland soon because yep. there's been some good fish caught out of there. The barrels, Tyson from uh, Want to Fish Charters managed to get one uh, uh, earlier in the week. Yep. 80 kilo, I think he said. It might even be a bit smaller. He reckons the fish are still there, but they're not doing what they were doing for some reason. Yep. So whether they've moved on, whether they're there and they've just eaten that much fish that they're having a break for a bit, I was 100% confident that the moon was going to change them and we're coming up to that moon now. So let's see what happens uh, any day now. If they start to go on bait balls, I was right. If they doesn't, if it doesn't, we'll have to go back and fix the podcast because I sound like an absolute idiot. But <laughs> I, I think that I think it'll get better on this new moon. Uh, the salmon at Waipinga Beach as well. I'm no not familiar where that is. You're from that part of the Waipinga. woods. Waipinga, Waipinga. You know where that Down is? Down south. Yeah. Down south. Uh, some massive salmon too. So the salmon run. We're going to get into the Vic in a minute, but like. You look at that, yeah, South Australia, thick yep. of it. Yep. I know there's another one coming up with Tassie in a minute too. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's sensational, the salmon run. Uh, once again, the jetties around from Grange uh, to Brighton, fishing quite well for squid. There's been plenty of people fishing and there's been some cold mornings, uh, but there's been some good calamari caught. Uh, let's head Tassie. to Tasmania now, Redmond, uh, Lake Burby, rainbows and browns. Yeah, on the lures and plastics that we spoke about earlier in the show, if you did miss it, you can uh, find any our Real Adventures shows on our podcast, but lures, plastics, working that early morning, late afternoons, working best. But once again, the, ta- the whole northwest coast of Tassie is just loaded with salmon, just absolutely loaded with them. So uh, <laughs> wherever you are, grab yourself some medals, head down to the beach. and just What have you been using? Just medals? Yep. And just 30, 30 grammars. Well, let's start us off. Victoria, we're into that. Well, take us I'll, through what you've been doing. I, I was going to take... Let's let's start south. All right. So, go. uh, gone fishing charters, our great mate Chris Vasileski, uh during the week. He said it was a rough day, but a good day on the tuna. They had a huge number of, of really decent-sized school fish, Redmond, which was great to see. Yeah, the charters are doing really well at the minute. That moon's basically what screws them over. Remember we spoke about it? Yes, that full yep. moon shut those shut them down a bit for them, but they've come back again and they've been really, really thick. So lots and lots of school tuna for people that are fishing in Portland. Uh, but the bottom fishing too, we mentioned it last week, has been 10 out of 10. It's just getting the weather. The weather is atrocious. We've had just another week. This whole week just gone has just been atrocious again. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is like 30 knots all week, basically. So fishing has been There's quite been difficult. There's been some serious swell down, oh, but, down but the but it's The big. swell's been big, everything. And we're going to go into lakes in a minute uh, to talk a little bit about what's happening down there. But just to give you an example is the southwest coast, Portland, it's the windiest place in the world, right through to Port Phillip Bay. You hit Port Phillip Bay and you get a little bit lighter weather. Then you head to Western Port, it gets lighter again, and to lakes entrances and whatnot, on average, it's so much calmer. There was people chasing swordfish on the weekend just gone by, and I'm at home trying to fly kites. Like, it's just a <laughs> massive difference. Like, it's a massive difference. Well, I'm not trying to fly kites. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was just me, just not very good at it. But it's... Uh, just letting just, it go bang, Oh, just gone. so much wind, Pat, like on the southwest side of Victoria through yeah. winter. We get those westerlies, we're over the other side, and that's where I'm, what I'm trying to say. If you're organising a trip away, change it up a bit. Instead of going and doing the Portland tuna, why don't you get down to the lakes and do something a little bit different or head down to Welshpool? Great. Well, let's let's move through. Uh, we'll move through down to that, that area now. Now, I had a great week on the whiting. Yep. 
They went really, yeah, really well. I didn't get offshore. I couldn't. The weather was atrocious, Pat. I didn't get offshore. Uh, Western Port, they went, the whiting went really, really well in Western Port. Now, Gwaine and Craig headed down to Welshpool, and they fished... Uh, I haven't actually got exactly where they fished. It'll all be in uh, Gwaine's report as we My speak. Salkide report. Yeah. Salkide.com.au for more information. Uh, gummies. I know they bagged out on gummies. They bagged out on flooded and bagged out on whiting. And people go, why'd you take that many fish? They loaded up the freezer... Yep. That we don't often keep fish as salt guy. We we give it to punters like friends that we fish with and whatnot. They loaded it up, but the more importantly, they sussed the area. All this was new area, literally all new areas. Right. So it's they did really well. So that was all Welsh pool, Welsh pool fishing. Well, lakes entrance fishing charters. They smashed the whiting again through lakes. They stopped the netting there a handful of years ago. I'm not getting into the netting argument, but they stopped that a handful of years ago, and the whiting fishery has been ten out of ten. Yeah, but now we're going. A bit further east uh, into Lakes Entrance and into Mallacoota. Richie Abala managed to get some swords as well as many other people. Jake Brisbane, uh, he is an angler that we need to get on this show. Uh, a reason I know he'll come on is because I towed him back the other week or last year at a Port Mac when his engine fell off his boat. Poor guy. But uh, Jake uh, Jake is a fantastic fisherman and he lives up uh, in the New South, southeast New South Wales and he targets the yellowfin. He targets the tuna at the moment. He was getting bluefin one day out of uh, New South Wales, tracked down to Mallacoota the next and landed a swordfish out of Mallacoota. So the options are endless trailer boat these days, just to give you an example. So the fishing's red hot. If you can get the weather, whether it's barrel bluefin, school tuna, whiting, gummy sharks offshore, and then you've obviously got the swordfish. So there's so many options to do to cover all abilities of fishing uh, right through the bays, inlets through Victoria and oceans. Before uh, we wrap up, the last one I, I forgot to mention uh, around Bermagui, there's also and the Montague Islands. Yeah, on the snapper talk. Yes, there's Ooh. been some really good snapper that have been Seen uh, these. caught. Uh, floating squid, fresh bonito, and slimy fillets was the now, best option in the shallows. Just to report on that, they reckon Montague's fishing the best. The, all the other reefs are in plagues of leather jacket. Really? The trap men, yeah, the trap so really men, difficult to. So get. you can't fish. No, you yep. just can't fish. Yeah, you drop the bot baiting, your whole rig's gone. Everything's gone. Yeah, they reckon Montague has the least amount of jackets and the most amount of fish. So that's where I'd be going. That is the whip around where we find out what's been biting in your neck of the woods. You're listening to Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures and it's now time for All Aboard and our special guest today is Jake Brisbane from Wollongong. Morning, Jake. Yeah, how you going, mate? Going very good. Thanks for joining us today. Now, we do love getting guests that uh, play footy or cricket or some of Pat's mates right around the country, but one guest that I love to get are people that actually fish hardcore and basically that's their passion. That's what they do every single day of the week that they can, and Jake is no exp- no exception for that. And, uh, Jake, you live in Wollongong, but I tell you what, you do the K's on the road, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like to um, travel and get out as much as I can. Now, I've met Jake numerous times fishing down Portland, Port Mac. Well, met him obviously once, but uh, we've fished uh, alongside each other many times now, Port Mac, Portland, and the likes. You you hook the boat up from Wollongong, you head down. Here I am whinging about a four- or five-hour drive, and you travel 15 hours sometimes to come down and chase these barrel bluefin tuna. What gets you excited about those big fish? No, just knowing that... Um yeah, it's something you can't do sort of every weekend or every opportunity you get. So 
the drive, making the most of it, and knowing the rewards most of the time is going to be pretty high and doing something different that you're not doing every day. Now, you are based in Wollongong, like we said, but that east coast, you love fishing that southeast coast of New South Wales. Now, at the minute, we're seeing yellowfin and bluefin. How often do you see yellowfin and bluefin tuna caught at the same time like we are now? Is it often? No, yeah, it's not very often you get it, eh? You get a couple of years, like now and then, where we're all line up and you'll get the opportunity to both yellowfin and bluefin in the same day. But, um, yeah, it's not very often. I've never personally done it myself, caught both species in the one day. Where are we, uh, where are we seeing uh, main, the main school of yellowfin at the moment? Um, so far, yeah, it's sort of mainly been out of Bateman's Bay, Oladoi area. It's been sort of the, the best sort of bite that we've had this year. We've seen the odd couple showing up off Kyama and Jervis Bay as well. And what about the bluefin? Where are we seeing those? Uh, the bluefin is starting to show up. Yeah, same sort of area, Bateman's Bay, Oladoi. Reports uh, of a few at Burmy and along the river and stuff as well. So, well, take us through your methods of fishing uh, for bluefin and yellowfin. Now, same species of fish being tuna, but different. they have different feeding patterns and whatnot. And I know New South Wales fishes for tuna are a lot different than the way we fish for tuna here in Victoria. We've got a lot of bait ball action, a lot of lure action as such. And I know you get them on the lures and, and whatnot, but you also do a lot of cubing, for instance. Now, between the yellowfin and the bluefin tuna on the New South Wales coast, let's stick to the New South, how do you often set your day out to target those yellowfin? Let's start with the yellowfin. So with the yellowfin setting it out, obviously have a look at the current charts on rip charts. Yep. It's sort of the best sort of start to have a look for, I don't know, obviously our symmetry lines and um, black sort of patches of water with temp breaks and stuff. Um, just chasing them and hopefully finding the sourries sort of the good start for them. Souries. Yeah, so souries, yeah, they'll feed on them most of the time on the surface. and That's when you really get your lure sort of bites on the stick baits and hot water action. And when would you decide to cube for yellowfin? Um, sort of cube for yellowfin, probably the best time is when they're locking hook control. You don't see much surface action. And, uh, yeah, it's probably the better time to... Have a cube if you did decide you wanted to do that because they're obviously feeding on the surface. Is is this action happening like on the on the shelf as such? Like for instance, our marlin grounds, or is it in closer? Uh, so all that action, yeah, it's sort of out past the shelf, like marlin grounds, most of the time. I don't know, anywhere from ten to twenty k's out past there, but sometimes you do get lucky. The action is on the marlin grounds on the shelf. Now the bluefin. Uh, the bluefin is such uh, on the New South Wales coast. They're, they're starting to see some big fish. I've seen some reports of a hundred kilo fish being caught, and some smaller as well. But how do you how do you set out to target those? Now, when we're here in Victoria, and I speak about this all the time, we head out. We're looking for the albatross for the bait balls. We're looking for the gannets for those for the uh, for the uh, gannets falling out of the sky. They're working. We're pulling the lures through them. For instance, is it the same thing for the bluefin when you're targeting them out wide there? Uh, up here, no, it's completely different. We um, sort of don't get the luxury of the like the birds and the life giving it away. It's more of a like a boring fishing put it out there to show some lures and hopefully find some bait and stuff like. If you do find birds, you are lucky. But yeah, it's more just kicking that slack water with like the cooler temperatures up here. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not the, the life that gives it away. It's sort of more of a out the right area, with a bit of life. What uh, when you say cooler waters as such, what what temperature would you be looking for? Uh, with a blue can, they can show up in anything up here, but yeah, most of the time, anything from sort of I don't know, nineteen to twenty and a half, normally not bad water for them. Yeah, right. Yep. Now, Jake, you often travel down my neck of the woods. You don't quite fish down in the bottom end of Victoria as much as myself, but when you travel, you would obviously try and put all the elements in your favour. You don't. One thing that we don't look at that to compare to the New South Wales coast down here is the charts. Like we look at it, but we can't pick fish where they're going to be in areas of water by looking at our charts as such. I've tried it many, many times, and nothing's worked out. Have you found that similar on our Victorian coastline? Yeah, with the Victorian coastline, yeah, it's completely different. Um, the times that I have been down there, I haven't looked at a chart either. As you said, it's more like the bait and the life that sort of helps that where the fish show up. But yep. up, up in New South Wales, yeah, a lot of people rely on the chart to sort of help gauge where you think they would be roughly a lot. Now, you're fortunate enough to live on that beautiful coastline, New South Wales, Uh and you've got so many options that you can target right throughout the year, but another species of fish that you absolutely love catching is the marlin, and we're still seeing a few kicking about at the moment. What's going on there? Yeah, so the marlin, I love chasing them all through summer. Um, this year, been fortunate enough to get for them to keep going through, which, yep. is, which is kind of weird. You'll normally get a odd bycatch chasing tuna in winter, but yeah, there definitely seems to be a lot more this year to bycatch, I think, as the water's staying a bit warmer and longer into the winter this year. Something that I've noticed, and I obviously love looking at my charts and looking at the marlin, but I, I don't live there and I don't get to do it like you do in your backyard. But one thing that I noticed is that current that pushed down from the north, pushed down basically the whole summer right through to basically into autumn. Is that what's playing that effect? It's just pushed that warmer water down further and it's taking longer to get back out? Is that what's happening, do you think? Yeah, that could be a um, high possibility with that because, yeah, obviously they've dropped down a lot further this year and the warm water has pushed down, so that could be part playing part in it that, that's taking longer for them to get back up because they're just doing that warm stuff heading back up now. And you've, you've spoken about the rip charts and we've spoken about it a few times, your SST, surface temperature, altimetry lines, which we could go into depth all day about that, but... Just for, for those that are listening out there and want to get into marlin fishing or chasing a tuna out of New South Wales uh, as such, how important is looking at the chart to set your plan and going from there? It, how, how much do you recommend to get in rip charts? Oh, I highly recommend it. And, um, definitely it helps sort of trips that will pay off if you keep looking at that and sort of get a gauge on how to read them and what the currents and stuff are doing will help a long way with your tuna trips and your marlin trips gauging of current water temp. Just put you in the right area. Now, before we do let you go, uh, during the week, start of the week, one of those days, you fished uh, Malakuta and you managed to land a beautiful uh, 140-odd kilo swordfish, I think it was. Take us through a bit about that. That was your first one, wasn't it? Yeah, so fortunate enough to go down with a couple of my mates. Chase them, that was my first time targeting them as well. Definitely a species I wanted to tick off the list. Yep. Um, yeah, fortunate enough to hook one 143 and a half kilo his first trip. Yeah. Um, 
probably one of my favourite fish I've caught to date at the moment, just the power that they've got and the different style of fishing, which is just good to mix it up every now and then. Did it play new. Did it play up? Yeah, it played up. So it went sort of race to the surface and um, did two jumps straight away. And then we obviously knew it was a sword and sort of just sulked it down at 100, 120 metres. And after about 45, 50 minutes, took a big run and just stripped um, about 200, 237 kilo outfit. Yeah, that's cool. It, it's uh, they're they're. They're a fish of a lifetime, that's for sure, the swordfish. They obviously pull extremely hard. Now, for those that are listening and don't understand the effort to go into these, how the depth of water you were fishing in out of Mallacoota, what were you fishing in? Uh, I think we were fishing roughly 500 metres. 500 metres. It's uh, pretty cool. And then you're saying it pulls down to 120 metres of water and it's just sitting there for how long? 40 minutes, I think you said. It was just sitting there for. That's incredible, yeah. the power that they've got. So- yeah, they got they got power like nothing else, like nothing sort of compares to the swordfish. Yep. Yeah, no, nah, very good. That's Jake Brisbane. He is from Wollongong. He fishes the southeast coast of New South Wales. He's a very good fisho. He does the miles, that's for sure. Thanks for joining us this morning on Real Adventures, Jake. Thanks for having us on. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. We are in the home straight now. Uh, plenty of fun happening in the uh, in the studio this morning, I can tell you. Uh, it's time for Red's Tip. Redmond, what do you have for us this morning? So, at the boat ramp, yes. launching your boat and whatnot. We love boat ramps as well. Always plenty, plenty <laughs> of uh, plenty of mischief sort of uh, happens at boat ramps. We Deck chair and a nice cold stubby. It seriously, <laughs> if you could have a a uh, film crew at every boat ramp around the country. It would be one of the great TV shows. I've seen this during the week because you sent it to me, so I'll give you a bit of credit here. Uh, always check the condition of your winch strap and use your safety chain. Oh, this is bad. So a gentleman with a Bertram, I'm going to go 23 here, has launched his boat uh, in Sydney somewhere. It's a flybridge as well. Like they're, It's a big boat. They're, they're not light. And his winch, snap is, uh, winch rope or winch strap, whatever you want to call it, has yes. snapped. Yes, and no he's lost either. his boat, and it's now on the ramp. Yep. So what I recommend to do is I actually do this a fair bit because of just so many times I've had crap go wrong. You've got your belt buckle, we'll call it, the strap on yes. your winch. Well, belt buckle is probably the easiest way yep. to explain it. When you put your when you get someone to put your boat on, or you put your boat on. Just have a look at it. You're going to get wear and tear in it naturally, where it rolls over and there's most strains on it. Yes. If it is strained, cut off. Say. Thirty centimeters to um, you can wouldn't go a meter, but you could go a meter. Cut. There's a lot of strap on there. Yeah. And yep. you honestly, these days with drive-on trailers, how many times have you used your whole winter strap? Well, you don't. Never on a boat ramp. Only no. ever when on I the, beach, off the yeah. beach. Beach, but it different. doesn't count. We change our strap every twelve months because on the of beach. that. Yep. yep. Well, on yep. because of this on your boat when you don't use beach launching and you're just using ramps, just cut a bit off if it's starting to get wear and tear, and start again. There's so many different knots you can use that don't slip. They're never going to yes. come off your knots. Yep. You don't need to crimp it on or anything. Just use a knot. Yep. It's not going to break. That's what I've always used, and I've never had one break. Pull it on, and it's going to save you a heap of <laughs> dramas when yeah. your boat falls off at the ramp. The other one is obviously boat catch for those yep. unfamiliar with yep. boat, ca- boat catch. If you want that added uh, extra layer of security... And convenience. And convenience, boat catches are absolutely brilliant. And I think it's pretty much 
boatcats.com.au for, for more information. Both you and I have them on our boats. No, um, I don't. Oh, you don't I, have them? I wish I did. It's, yeah, I've got it, and I've always been going to save it. You for just haven't next. installed Well, my it. boat was trailer was set up. It got a bit stiff, my rollers, yep. and my boat never moved. I'm like, I won't put it on. Well, I got my trailer service the other day, $1,000 later. It moves? It moves. <laughs> <laughs> I need a boat catch, and he's actually got one for me too, Barry, so uh, I do need to get in contact with him. All right, that is Red's tip. It is now time for the Flying Gaff. And the Flying Gaff this week is headed to Finland, where a speeding driver, Redmond, has been handed a $200,000 Australian uh, fine for travelling 30 kilometres over the speed limit. Did you know the bloke that got fined here, Hammond? Do you know why he got fined so much? Legit? No, I actually don't. So, what the fines over there accounts to half of your disposable income over 14 days. Really? Yep. So whatever you make in those 14 days, disposable income. That is how it's charged. Is, is how it's charged. So the poor bloke has previously copped fines of 63000 which is 100000 Aussie, and 95000 over there, which is 150000 Aussie. Well, you say poor bloke, but you would think he would have learnt his lesson. This has been Real Adventures. We hope you enjoyed the show.